you know, 86% of companies have this stated purpose. We are this, we do this, da, 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 da. And very few of them, I think it's under 20% have an activated purpose. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven, sustainable product brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, and today we're speaking with Rob Sinclair, founder of Conscious Brands, whose assessment tool can help guide you on your journey towards positive impact for people, organizations, and the planet. A nice warm welcome to everybody. I'm Rob Sinclair from Conscious Brands, and have Mr. Gage Mitchell here interviewing me today. It's exciting. <laughs> is, that, is that how the... the yeah, the thanks for having me on my show, Rob. That's appreciate <laughs> it. It's always good to chat. <laughs> but seriously, thanks for coming on. I've been wanting to share with the world more about your conscious brands assessment tool and just help people understand what a conscious brand is. But before we get there, I want to dive a little bit more into your background because... You are one of my friends that seems to have lived like a thousand different lives, <laughs> a bunch of different <laughs> businesses and careers and stuff. So can you walk us through a little bit more about kind of your, your business background from you know your computer company days to food brands to being a consultant? Yeah. You know, when you said that, Gage, I thought you were talking about, you know, the physical background behind me. I was like, oh, I have a story about these speakers, <laughs> yeah. all these business books I found at a garage sale or a little free library to make me look smart. So yeah, you haven't actually read any of them, of course. Yeah, no, no, no. Makes sense. Well, I don't want to. It's kind of like comic book collecting. I don't want to impact <laughs> the resale value of them, right? Yeah, you want to keep them mint. Got to keep them mint. Yeah, yeah. Still <laughs> looking for the plastic covers, but <laughs> yeah, you know, my background. It's it's kind of interesting, even to me. And I guess it. I just have always had this knack for wanting to do things a little bit differently. You know, I don't know if it's like I see something that can be different and I just kind of shift it. And I guess, you know, it started probably my, you know, if I go way back, it was probably the early days of me being a paper boy. And what? What? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was my mom's excuse to get me out of the house after school each day for an hour. So she could have some peace and quiet. Nice. Did you but, do it on a bike? Bike delivery papers? No, I had I had a little uh, red Henry Express wagon. And oh, nice. <laughs> and I, I went, you know, right from my house. I was, I was fortunate that it was an after-school paper route. And uh, I went right from my house all the way up the street, down, and, you know, three blocks, and within an hour is done. And nice. it just, you know, I, I guess there's a couple things going back to that. When I reflect on it, it just allowed me time to think and process. So I'm very much an introvert, although, you know, when we're at conferences, I definitely have that extroverted energy, but I need to go inside to get my charge. So going hmm. back, you know, it's probably the, the paper route that allowed me to buy my first computer that allowed me hmm. to set up a little arcade in my basement. Because, <laughs> you know, like I, I used to hack games and crack games and stuff and put them on my computer. Uh, yeah. And this is like an old Apple II. So just as, you know, people would go and spend two or three dollars at the arcade. And I said, well, why don't you just come over to my house after school, after I do my paper route? And you can play video games and I'll charge you like 50 cents and kids are trading me cool shit. And I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. And then, mm. you know, fast forward into grade 12, I got a government grant to start a t-shirt company. I remember going talking to the loans officer 
was my buddy uh, Jeremy and I. I was going to talk to the loans officer, and I had you know something like this just sketched out on a piece of paper with a little bit of design and saying, you know, this is what we're thinking of doing. He's like, oh yeah, approved. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. Easiest so loan probably, ever. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like three grand back in 1988-89. And it was like one of the most fun summers I ever had. And we basically sold t-shirts out of the back of a van on roadsides around like fruit stands and stuff. And it was called Revolutions. And Revolutions, we thought we were so creative with our graphic design that on a typewriter, we, we typed the word revolution. And then since it's typewriter, you can do really circular. So you had to do it a box. So revolution across the top and then revolution backwards and then this way and this way. And, you know, our, our catch line was it was time for a change. I mean, we're nice. selling t-shirts. I don't know how much of a change that was, but we had our logo hey, on people it. People have you know, to change their shirt every once in a while. Well, it's true, right? It's true. We got into tie-dyeing. And so, you know, what else are we going to do on the side of the road, selling these t-shirts, playing Frisbee and, you know, start tie-dyeing them. So we set up a little tie-dye section in the back of the van and we're just hanging them out to dry. And this, this I don't know if it was a father or someone came by and he's like, oh, I need like 15 tie-dye shirts. I'm like, great. We have 14. He's like, well, what about that one? I was wearing it. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so literally sold the t-shirt off my back and nice yeah true entrepreneur right there <laughs> true well you know you got to do what it takes right yeah and <laughs> so that, that kind of morphed and evolved and i mean we were 18 we had tons of orders and we just didn't have any business acumen any maturity at all really <laughs> but we did really well and that, that kind of you know had, had a few different iterations and the, the next real business was an internet company. And I remember I was helping a buddy. Well, I, it was an advertising company that turned into an internet company. But I was helping a buddy with a business plan. And I was in university at the time doing some bioscience, which apparently I wasn't that good at because <laughs> I, got, I got asked to take a semester off. yeah it was it was a little humbling and humiliating you know and my buddy's like what are you gonna do i'm like well what do you mean he's like well you're gonna come do this business with me like well i guess i have some money saved up for university so why not so (laughs) you know we started selling these kind of entertainment books coupon book type thing oh yeah very successful like we printed about seventy five thousand of them over the course of a couple years and paper costs all of a sudden shot through the roof and the internet was coming of age and we weren't quite as large as the entertainment book. And, you know, the, the platinum dining entertainment card ended up going virtually, right? So we set up an internet company. We had a fairly successful, at the time, fairly successful platform. It was called the Gold Guide. And it was basically like a yellow pages online. And we were getting about 30,000 unique hits a month. So this was back in like 94, 95. So HTML1 and When Java there were just- only 30,000 people on the internet at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so you were the original Google. <laughs> oh, man. I remember at a trade show we were... I can't remember what type of trade show it was. It was a local one, so it wasn't anything significant. But we had to like cache all the pages and to just... <laughs> You know, just to show how fast it was. Because most people are on dial-up at that time still, right? 
And mm -hmm. anyway, we, we scaled to about 30 employees and having way too much fun. And we ended up yeah. getting bought, which was pretty fun. But that scaled the size of the company back because they wanted the, you know, just the technology that we had. And we ended up going from this super fun, fairly relaxed, fairly, you know, 26 year old energy office to downtown in one of the major oil and gas companies. So probably the, you know, A++ building. And we started doing IT outsourcing for oil and gas companies. Hmm. And it was kind of at that time where I started to think that, you know, it's funny because we were told, you know, we should have expensive cars, expensive clothes, and just have this like lifestyle. And I had all that and it wasn't really fulfilling. You know, I kind of had this, this illusion that that would make me happy. And it didn't, you know, and my, my life was pretty, pretty cush. I would ride my bike or rollerblade into the office around eight o'clock, have a meeting, go work out, come back for lunch, a lunch meeting, because, you know, I was doing business development, I helped them grow the company, but I maybe come back from lunch, maybe not. And I had shifted my diet to be more vegan at the time and entertaining mm. a whole bunch of oil and gas folks at hockey games and golf trips on a vegan diet. Yeah, they didn't they, have they the vegan work. hot dogs back then. Yeah. Well, they didn't have vegan hot dogs. And, you know, you're kind of, there, there's very much a culture, at least at that time, there's very much a culture of having to bring the party. Yeah. And there's not a substance to support that party when you're eating tofu and vegetables. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it kind of, I, you know, I, I'd finished my two years, or I was on the edge of finishing my two year commitment with the company. And I remember going out to, the mountains. This was in November. And in my Volkswagen van, and it was a 1978 Volkswagen van, and I didn't have heat in it. And it was, I live up in Canada, in case that hasn't been mentioned. I live up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So drove up to the Rocky Mountains. And it was it was cold, like I had to wear full on snowsuit just to drive to this campground. And this campground had electricity, had a little plug in heater. And I just took four days with you know, I say no stimulants and there, there weren't any stimulants. And, but what I mean is like no music, no books. I'm not really a coffee person and I hadn't found mate yet. So really I just had this like mini silent retreat and did Tai Chi by the river every morning and just got really clear on what it was that I enjoyed. And what came to be was like, I really liked cooking. And at that time I was vegan and it was new to me. And I really like, you know, just tooling around in my Volkswagen. So this idea of vegan in a VW came to me. I was like, whoa, vegan in a VW, that rings. So I did some public speaking courses, took video editing. And, you know, that summer in 99, I hopped in my van and drove across North America producing this vegetarian cooking show called Vegan in a VW. And it was by far the funnest six months of my life. Is it possible to still find episodes of that somewhere? So this was before YouTube. And if you go to the Wayback, is a Wayback machine, the yeah. archive of the internet, and you type in mm -hmm. vegan and VW, you can find it. What was kind of funny is someone had, like, I let the domain go, and someone purchased the domain and pretty much took my story, talking about how I transitioned. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just really like they just replaced the actor. Kind of, kind of. But that was a gateway for was, educating myself around the natural products industry. So I was, met some really cool people. I'd roll into town and I'd already talked to the local vegetarian societies 
and got them to set up interviews with radio stations and television and also manufacturers like who's doing this like vegan vegetarian type of food and so I just educated myself with it ended up in Boulder Colorado and met this person Ron Pekarski who's a famous chef and he had won the gold medal in the culinary olympics and i had one of his cookbooks i'm like oh my god i'm sitting down with ron pagarski and we just really clicked and we were talking and i said yeah like what would it mean if i licensed your formulas and he's like yeah it sounds cool so i raised some money and licensed his formulas brought them to canada i created a brand called friendly foods and you know got distribution into about 200 stores across canada and that was a little challenging in 2000, 2001, 2002, as I started to create a family. And what ended up, you know, I had to choose being a dad or being a business person. And I chose being a dad, obviously, and sold friendly foods. And yeah, started to figure out what was next for my life. And while I was trying to take care of two young daughters and yeah, I ended up just doing whatever it took. And I had some experience with bookkeeping and accounting. So I got some small little bookkeeping contracts. And I was also doing some brokering for a friend of mine. And she was repping some pretty cool brands and some brands I had known from my days at the trade shows before mm -hmm. organic became crazy. And yeah, I remember sitting at my computer looking out the window you know, reconciling bank statements. And this idea of conscious brands came to me. I was like, conscious brands, what is that? And I didn't know, but I trust my intuition. And I just knew enough to take the little money that I had and actually, you know, register the domains, which is pretty cost effective, but also register the trademarks. Like I just knew that there was something there and I needed to kind of commit in a very large way. How were you able to register the trademarks without any in-use application? Because normally they require some sort of evidence of you using it. Yeah, I mean, I started to just say sustainability, right? Like I knew sustainability was going to have something to do with it. So gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Very smart of you. Very smart of me. I know, right? Which is unusual. Wise, I would say, <laughs> actually. Yeah, I'd yeah. probably say yeah. wise. <laughs> that's better yeah you know and it was funny because it took me anyways a long time to admit the failure of business right the failure of losing you know three hundred thousand dollars of my money and other people's money on this venture that was friendly foods and what it gained was so much wisdom of business and so much wisdom of overextending yourself and being in integrity and all this stuff right and so was it's it a failure or just really expensive education? <laughs> well, you know, I, I did go on the dean's vacation. So maybe this was <laughs> yeah. the dean saying, welcome back. You've mm -hmm. graduated. Yeah. You have your, you your master's in life now. You are a conscious mm -hmm. brand. You as Rob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So that just kind of brought me into conscious brands. And conscious brands, you know, for the last... This would have been like 2005, 2006. So the last, you know, 15, 16 years have been just figuring out what a conscious brand is. And, you know, starting from this place of carbon, 
using carbon as a gateway to sustainability. So, you know, we did the first on-pack carbon label in North America. We worked with Carbon Trust, Whole Foods and Method and Kettle and Guayaki was the company that had the carbon label. Just trying to figure out like a standard for North America. And it was just way ahead of its time. And, you know, even a carbon label today, I think would be more than people could comprehend. And we know how busy the package of food products are getting, you know, they kind of look like NASCAR and you as a, you know, <laughs> brand guru, purpose-driven brand guru, you know what it's like to fit 1% for the planet and B Corp and non-GMO and all these other certifications while still having the presence of that brand, right? It's, it's a busy mm-hmm. place. And yeah, you know, so the carbon, it just wasn't where carbon needed to go and nor did we want the conversation to just stop at carbon. We wanted the conversation to go beyond and into sustainability. And at that point, our purpose was activating sustainability. And we actually had a mission to help a thousand brands transition or further thrive in the new economy by 2020. Nice. You kind of know that part of the story, which I'm happy to you know dive into. But really, it was it kind of allowed us to work in the natural product space in a really intentional way and get some amazing exposure and speaking uh, engagements, work with some really cool brands on helping them become better companies. Yeah. Yeah, And I think you were also doing B Corp consulting and stuff through that period as well and running, you know, like mastermind spiral table groups and a bunch of other very interesting things. So it was like sort of like modern species. It was a business with a bunch of like (laughs) sub businesses packed within. Well, you know, the life of an entrepreneur, you just kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're always know there's a, there's another minimum viable product that you could put out. And, you know, it is, it's one of the things that we see with emerging food brands, right? Like, oh, we could do these 17 different products and we have some need for this. And it's like, no, focus, focus, focus. Mm-hmm. And I think, like I said, the last 15, 16 years is really been discovery of what conscious brands is as an organization and what a conscious brand actually is as a you know as an entity and you know going back to the deeper why of why i started conscious brands was really knowing that there was some shit going on in the world that didn't align with me right mm-hmm. and that's why i was drawn towards sustainability is because the world i remember giving my family a homemade Christmas gift in 2007. And I'd kind of come back from Burning Man. I was working at Burning Man, like with their, it was the Green Man that year. And we were helping them quantify the environmental footprint of Burning Man and some of the more progressive camps. And Hmm. I remember putting on this calendar for my family, this picture of the earth. And it said, the earth is melting, go outside and see. And they're like, oh yeah, Rob, right. Yeah, we, we, we get it. <laughs> you know, just some sort of crazy idea that he has or whatever. But I really saw, and I, I still see, and one of the reasons kind of conscious brands came to be other than this, you know, moment of clarity was that there's a lot of shit going on. I mean, in the world today, we can see, but back in 2007, I saw also a lot of shit going on. And I kind of attributed that to business, right? You know, and businesses have the majority have a fiduciary duty to maximize shareholder return. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that means externalizing the cost to the environment 
and to society, right? So yeah. in my mind, it's like, okay, if that if that's the problem, if that's the problem, and business is the problem, then the solution isn't no business. The solution is business operating in a different way to kind of have a more holistic lens. And we have language for all this now, but at the time it was, you know, like looking at all stakeholders. And yeah. at the same time, you know, you, you talked about B Corp, but at the same time, as we were actually doing a sustainability strategy and carbon label for Guaki, they were helping to create the B Corp standard. So, I mean, we were, we were right there and we we're, you know, the fifth company in Canada when it finally came to Canada and being a founding Canadian B Corp. And it all of a sudden gave language, right? I remember when we celebrated, you know, in 2000, I think it was 2014 or 2015, a thousand B Corps. And we're like, oh, this is so great. And, you know, like it is like, it's, it's amazing that now we have language and there's legislation and th- this movement. And it's, it just took a committed group of people to look at business differently. And really, mm-hmm. you know, we use this as a bit of a platform for conversation and education. And this is how we, you know, achieved our goal in 2020 of helping a thousand brands transition or further thrive in the new economy, right? Was actually through all the work we did with B Lab and B Corps and the talks and everything that we did. And, you know, our, our purpose was still activating sustainability. And I can't remember when the light bulb clicked for me, but sustainability just didn't seem to be enough, right? Like if yeah. we're just sustaining. And I, I use this example, Gage, and you've probably heard me use it quite a few times. Yeah, and, I love this one. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> if someone asks me how my relationship is with my wife and I say it's sustainable, they're like, oh, is everything okay? You know, versus yeah. if I use something like regenerative, right? Like it's, it's actually producing. And I think, you know, where we are in the world right now, we're using 1.5 Earth's to exist each year, right? Like we're going into a huge amount of ecological and social debt on an ongoing basis. So yeah, let's move towards sustainability and try to find that homeostasis. But how can we actually be regenerative? And how can we actually make the world better? And I think business can be that catalyst for positive change in the world, right? And our, our vision at Conscious Brands or our purpose is harmony. And we define harmony as a flourishing, responsive, regenerative society. So that's me, right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that sort of answers the question too that I was going to say. And I'm not sure if this is partly where the light bulb of the name Conscious Brands came up, but I was thinking that you know there's a conscious consumer out there that a lot of products and brands in our industry kind of go after the people who are already aware of the concerns out there and, and wanting to help make a difference with their dollars. And then you kind of flip that into conscious brands. So I was going to ask you to define conscious brands. And I think what you just said helps. But I also like one of your statements that you use a lot, which is purpose on purpose. Can you dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of our our value proposition, right? Is, you know, is your purpose on purpose as an organization? And what we're seeing, you know, kind of history repeats itself, but in different forms, right? It kind of shape shifts its way. And it, you know, back in 2006, seven, eight, we saw, you know, green was this big thing. And, you know, let's, let's do this environmental stuff. And then we saw a lot of greenwashing and, you know, companies getting pretty kind of slapped on the hand or not pretty kind of, but slapped, you know, because yeah. they're, you know, we live in this age of transparency. I think people forget. So we, 
you know, need to be an in integrity and authentic with what we do. So we saw that in this, this whole greenwashing. And then we also started to see murmurs of this in sustainability, right? And sustainability, I won't call it washing, but it just got co-opted, right? The more holistic kind of natural step for systems constraints of sustainability is what we used, like a scientific definition. And it's not just about environment, right? It's not about changing light bulbs. And everyone, you know, there's this huge migration from management consulting to sustainability consulting and just using the same tools, right? And getting to your question or getting to answer your question. And, you know, this was kind of part of the, the reason why the tool came to be or the functionality and the value proposition of purpose on purpose was that we're starting to see this with purpose now that I think it's something like Larry Fink from BlackRock Capital put some statement out that said purpose is, you know, whatever, you know, I have it somewhere, but purpose is just kind of that North star that businesses need to follow. If you don't have purpose, you don't, you can't do it. Right. And so somehow, you know, 86% of companies have this stated purpose. We are this, we do this, da, 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 da. And very few of them, I think it's under 20% have an activated purpose. And it just makes it very, you know, inauthentic. (laughs) So what we want to do, and I think this is where the real opportunity is with our tool and with this time that we're in right now is you say you have a purpose, what is it? You know, and is it actually on purpose? And do your staff, like, are your are staff, and, the, you know, it starts to get into the details and the actually functionality of the tool, but there's six pillars of a conscious brand. And one of them is higher purpose and, you know, purpose-driven strategy. So how's your purpose actually driving your strategy? You know, conscious communication, you talked about conscious consumer. Well, conscious communication, which is one of the pillars of conscious capitalism, but conscious communication is, well, how are you communicating this? to your consumers. So, you know, again, empathetically connected so that conscious consumer, how are they empathetically connected to your purpose and your strategy through the conscious communication? And then the next one is intrinsically engaged employees, right? And with these remote workplaces, this is even more important than it was, you know, when we first kicked this off is how intrinsically engaged are your employees and how do you know, right? And then, you know, those are five. And then the sixth is, as market conditions shift, as world events shift, how are you being agile and responsive, but still being in line with that purpose, right? And I think that is really, you know, the value statement of purpose on purpose, right? And, you know, I guess we're helping to activate purpose, but really at at the essence, it is purpose on purpose. And I just want to give you an example of, you know, one of many steps that brought us to this point of the software, this tool, was, you know, as we were doing sustainability work and strategies, we work with some pretty cool brands, you know, some pretty mm-hmm. leading thinking, you know, high exited brands that were and did help to shape and co-create, co-shape, you know, the natural products industry. And I remember some of the, you know, those leading brands, other companies would come to us and say, oh, you're working with XYZ and XYZ and th- this one and this one and this one we want you to come work for us. And, you know, those are kind of the cool kid companies and we want to be part of that cool kid crew. So come to us, what you did, did for them. And we're like, well, yeah, sure. But 
you know, like why? Like what's the deeper why? Well, because we want to be like that brand. Well, you know, like that's your purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's your purpose, right? So at the time, we didn't have a tool to be able to assess that readiness of those organizations that wanted to work with us. And it just, you know, and the software tool, the, the conscious brands assessment really assesses that readiness, you know, and is that alignment there? Like, is there work that needs to happen first before we do a sustainability strategy? Like maybe there's yeah. some purpose work. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the conscious brands company started out helping other conscious companies really kind of activate their purpose or their sustainability. But then you've shifted into a software, like an assessment tool that helps brands identify whether they're fulfilling their purpose on purpose, which is amazing. It's like, how did that transition happen though? How did you go from consulting into an assessment tool? And does Conscious Brands, the assessment tool or company, this new version of the company, does it still do consulting as well? Or are you doing that outside of Conscious Brands? Very great questions and well-researched, sir. (laughs) So as I said, in 2017, we kind of saw some of the the co-opting of sustainability. We also saw some shifts around the industry, like huge acquisitions were happening. And a lot of those acquisitions were happening to our clients, right? So we were kind of getting pushed to the side as these larger, you know, white wave type brands started to come in, you know, and general mill type companies started to come in. And it was, was great for our clients. And we we're very happy that we were able to work with them. They're able to have like huge, huge exits. But we also saw that sustainability was being spoken of in a different way. And it still kind of came down to came down to a lot to carbon and carbon's important, you know, and I think there's some companies doing some great work, but it's not just all. And sustainability, what we kind of started to, you know, pause it and talk about was, you know, sustainability is just one aspect of what a conscious brand is, right? You know, and, and that story they shared about, you know, we need to move kind of into something that's a little more flourishing and regenerative, right? Mm-hmm. And responsive. And we had the fortune of being able to host a conversation in Anaheim to Natural Products Expo West, which, have you attended that? I've partaken in a few of those, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we hosted a conversation. And so as opposed to doing like a workshop, we we put on an event called Co-Creating an Industry of Conscious Companies and just put it out, right? And we had about three and a half hours with, you know, 100 plus attendees and explored, you know, one, we had a posit or a hypothesis of what a conscious brand was, right? And consciousness, if you break it out, it, you know, if you look at the etymology of it, it's really about knowing and not just knowing, but knowing together. And as you know, one of our guiding principles is the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go further, go together. And so if we're going to evolve as a company, we need to talk to other people. Like we can't just do it within the walls of the organization. And if we want to evolve as an industry, who are we to kind of say, this is how the industry needs to evolve. It needs to be more of a co-creative listening, iterative process. So we we hosted this workshop on co-creating an industry of conscious companies. And, you know, our request was no spectators, like everyone is a participant. And we came up with, you know, a thousand plus data points 
around the enabling and inhibiting aspects of a conscious business, a conscious brand, and just kind of start to, you know, play with some of that language, play with some of that, what we're hearing in the industry. And one of the tools that we employ is something called generative listening, you know, and I know I've talked about this before, just kind of the four levels of listening. So the first one is habitual, next one's debative, the third one's empathetic, and the fourth one is generative. And what we mean by generative listening is listening for that future that wants to emerge. And that's what we were doing. We're listening for this future that wanted to emerge. And as we're kind of creating some of this framework and some of these systems conditions and measurements of a conscious brand based on what we posited, as well as feedback from the the conversations we were having, both in Anaheim and other places, I was doing some research on the internet and I came across this Australian company that had created this software called the Conscious Brands Index. And I was like, well, that's interesting. You know, it's consciousbrand.co. So I missed that domain when I registered my domain. <laughs> I reached out to them and said, hey, we own the trademarks for North America and Europe of Conscious Brands. We don't own it for Australia. And one of our guiding principles is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go further, go together. So would you be open to looking at what it means to go further together? And it took a few weeks, but they responded. They said, yeah, sure. You know, let, let's do that. So, you know, I was talking to some folks in different networking circles. Like, well, I, I would have just called my lawyer, got my lawyer. On. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, what would your lawyer have done, but cost you money? Right. Like, yeah. why not be curious? An opportunity. Yeah. And potentially an opportunity. Right. So anyway, you know, we worked with this company in Australia and tweaked it and, and tried it and, you know, tweaked it some more and tried it and tweaked it some more and came out with this conscious brands assessment tool that helps organizations, you know, ensure that their purpose is on purpose. And as we were doing this, we realized that our greatest impact for this tool is not just us owning it in our toolbox and having a proprietary we are very clear that we didn't want it in assessment, you know, for some of the reasons I shared earlier about things being too busy already and too much out there. So we made some tweaks to make it compatible with the B Corp assessment. And, you know, we've been through some B Corp assessments with clients where we've used the tool that's actually got the company that's getting certified or recertified more points. So that's pretty cool. Mm. And we don't want to own this, right? Like, Again, we want to be a community and like there's not one person or one action that's going to make the world a better place. It's everyone doing multiple actions, right? Like there's no silver bullet or one size fits all that we all want, right? You know, whether it's this pandemic or whether it's climate change or whether it's, you know, whatever it is, the economy, just put the list. There, there's no one size fits all and there's no one solution or one approach, right? So. We decided, I guess this would have been earlier this year, as we were just getting ready to do like a full launch, that any of the consulting shouldn't be under the same umbrella as conscious brands. So we kind of shifted, created this other little consulting group that does some of the work, but we wanted to make sure that conscious brands had some autonomy and had some, it didn't have like a conflict of interest that we were offering this service. And then say, oh, yeah, here's the 20 things that you should do with us. 
in order to make yourself a more conscious brand, right? And then just having the one that, you know, like this was co-created, this tool. So as it evolves, we need to co-evolve with it and work with other kind of branding, consulting purpose type of agencies or groups that can put this into their toolbox and use it with their clients. So it's kind of where the where we're at right now with the pilot is, you know, let's turn into that. Let's tune into all these great stories and use this as a first step in engagement and in working with our clients, right? That makes sense. It's a beautiful evolution. I love that story of collaboration because we we hear too many stories of, you know, big companies buying up all these trademarks or or different things like that and then pressuring these smaller companies to not be able to use pretty common language. Like a recent version of that is one of the bigger kind of natural product companies trademarked the term always organic and has started sending letters to other companies who have been always organic and using that statement for a long time. But, you know, they don't own the trademark because like, why would you trademark always organic? It's just a a plain statement that most organic companies use, right? But that's just like this weird competitive, like send my lawyer after him kind of model where much prefer and love what you're doing, where it's more like, hey, let's, let's create this space where we can all evolve and grow together rather than be in competition with one another for like it's it's less of an a more of an abundance mindset than a scarcity mindset i think and i very much appreciate that about your story behind conscious brands thanks and just kind of how we approach this whole the output of the assessment is unique as well right like we focus on what's working within an organization or we highlight what's working within an organization rather than pointing out all the things that are wrong. And I think it's just, again, you know, if I'm always, I'll use my wife or a friend or whatever example, right? That if I'm always pointing out what's wrong, that's all I'm looking for, right? Like I'm always just looking for something that's wrong versus Mm -hmm. like, let's celebrate what's working. Let's celebrate what's right. Let's, you know, like what's great about my life right now, not what sucks about it. (laughs) And I think we can start to shift this narrative. And regardless of what you think about this current time that we're in right now with all the craziness and all the the shifting and all the whatever, you know, this time last year, you know, both you and I would have been planning for Anaheim. We Mm -hmm. would be ready to hop on a plane and go. And I know myself and lots of other folks that aren't that well, we haven't traveled for a year now to any conferences. There's actually been a lot more time, and there's kind of this interesting pause. And I think this is a real opportunity for us to rethink and react. Maybe not react, but uh, react our roles in the world. Yeah, that makes sense. Sort of back to your paperboy days, like use that downtime to kind of do some introspection, really think about where you want to go or what's important to you and so on and so forth, and then have a more purposeful (laughs) path towards that future. Exactly. As I'm folding those metaphorical papers of life and putting a rubber band around them and seeing how far up on the step I can throw it. 
Sounds like you need to create a newsletter of of consciousness, <laughs> the consciousness newsletter <laughs> of introspective papers that get delivered to your inbox daily. Introspective papers. Well, I, I think I was a little disappointed, Gage, when I heard the title of your podcast that it's not called the Occasional Drip. <laughs> That's a whole different show. It's you know I I can't take ownership <laughs> of Chewy's words. <laughs> Inside joke for those listening. <laughs> inside joke, yes. But I guess my point with that is that it's a real opportunity for us to turn inside to ourselves, right? Without getting too spiritual about it all. But I, I think we've looked outside so much that now we need to look inside. You know, let's turn in instead of turning out. And, you know, it kind of brings me to our new mission with Conscious Brands. So I said that our original one that that we met and we were very stoked that we were able to, you know, help a thousand brands transition or further thrive in the new economy by 2020. Very, you know, happy that we met that goal, achieved that goal. And our new one is, you know, inspire and activate 100,000 internal brand believers. Those are people within the organization. So when I talked about looking at what's working within an organization, when a company goes through the conscious brands assessment, it not only compares the individual, but it compares the departments and it compares the hierarchy within the organization based on these six pillars. And what you get is kind of a look at the alignment and dissonance, but really like where are those people that get, see what's going on, right? And we call those internal brand believers. And it's, again, the hypothesis or what we posit here is that, you know, if we can get those internal brand believers to a certain tipping point of about, and it's it's not huge, it's like 13% of your organization, we can shift that. So, you know, this is kind of based on the model of the diffusion of innovation, which, you know, there's, what is it, like 2% are the innovators, then there's those early adopters, and then there's this chasm, right? And as that point hits 13%, it just kind of jumps this chasm into the early majority, Right. And, and we've seen this in so many different movements. We, we've seen this in organic is a great example. Like, I, I think we're, we're, again, at the top of that early majority of, like, we're not even late majority, but we've gone through those innovators, those early adopters, and it takes time, like the starting to push and get that momentum, it takes time. But as soon as we get to that one point, that it's kind of that tipping point, and then it just shuts up. And so that's really the logic behind focusing on the internal brand believers and focusing on what's working. So what is it that they see within your organization that maybe you don't have your finger on the pulse of? And that's why it's important to kind of turn into your organization and look inward, not just looking outward, right? That empathetically connected customer we can connect to. But if we don't know who we are, if we don't know how our brand is on purpose, or if it's on purpose, our purpose is on purpose, then how can we be conscious as an organization? So to inspire and activate 100,000 internal brand believers to help their organizations live into their higher purpose by 2030. So that's beautiful. And can so I put if you people down for are, uh, 20,000 gauge? Yeah, yeah, put 22,000, please. Come on. <laughs> 22,000. Okay. Yeah, good. so if, if the <laughs> listeners want to be part of that 100,000 along with me and my 20,000, <laughs> where do they go? Well, you know what I would say? You know, there, there's a free assessment online consciousbrands.com. But what we're really, our focus is, and I, I know that your listening community, Gage, 
is both brands and then brand consultants in varying capacities, mission-based, purpose-driven organizations that they work with. It's really those organizations that we want to work with, and we want this tool to be in their toolboxes. So we're just working through a bit of a pilot group and sorting out what that program looks like. And we'll be starting to do some training kind of, you know, if I'm being, if I'm being optimistic, I'll say July, but if I'm being realistic, it's September. We have some data governance just to finalize some fees, but, you know, just to become an accredited conscious brand ambassador. Okay. That makes sense. So this episode will launch before then. So is there room in that pilot program? Are you looking for more people or is that already full? Yeah, we have about three organizations. We have room for a few more. I'd like to kind of put it at eight and we could probably do a couple working groups. Again, you know, it is that going further together and that co-creating and understanding the needs and the values because we have blind spots, right? And we're looking to the community to help us see those blind spots and offer them a tool that they can use for their clients. And that a tool, you know, that part of this pilot program is not only us like figuring out the training, but then we're giving you the tool that you can have for your clients for free, you know, which would otherwise be a cost. That's beautiful. So listeners out there, if you want to participate in this pilot program and help go further together, I guess, you know, hit Rob up at Conscious Brands. You can find some contact info there, I assume, or find him on LinkedIn. Wherever we publish this episode, we'll publish links as well to Conscious Brands, anything else mentioned in this episode, as well as Rob's LinkedIn, so you can reach out to him. Beyond that, I know you are still doing some activating sustainability or maybe moving into activating regenerativeness (laughs) through consulting. (laughs) So if somebody wants to reach out to you through that to help, you know, with any sticky issues they're dealing with around activating their purpose, where would they go? You know, I think I'm trying to just keep the, you know, the sign on the door conscious brands as to not okay. over confuse. But yeah, I mean, the name of the consulting group is the Imaginal Collective. And really, it's the idea that we need to imagine all our impacts. So, you know, the first step in, in anything we do is the conscious brands assessment tool. And then we start looking at, you know, what would that means? If a company wants to work with us, I would say you need to ask yourself why you want to work with us. And I don't want to be arrogant or, or anything, <laughs> but <laughs> why do you want to work with me? Yeah, let's see if you can get you into the club. Sell me. <laughs> but really, you know, I, I'm at a place in my career that I want to make sure the work that I'm doing is meaningful and impactful. And yeah, if you don't know why you want to work with us, we, we can have a conversation around that. But I don't know. There's just a lot of energy, I think, that gets wasted and is inefficient if you're not clear on that why you want to work with us and why you want to kind of imagine all the impacts that you have. So, All right. Sounds good. Well, appreciate you coming out, spending a little time with us on Evolve CPG and sharing your, what are we calling it, wisdom, brilliance ideas, insights with the world. So thank you again for doing all that you do and for sharing it with us. Yeah, well, I think you have to, you know, maybe thank my mother for getting me that paper when I was 11. It all started there. (laughs) It all started there. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun, Gage. And, you know, I really appreciate you and all that you're doing. And 
acknowledge your courageous leadership to always look at ways to go further together. So thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Rob, his company, and the assessment tool, go to ConsciousBrands.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, hit that like button and share it with your colleagues. And of course, send us feedback and ideas for who we should talk to next at evolve at modernspecies.com. And learn about our new online community at evolvecpg.com. See you next week.